Hey, what's up, boxing fans? Welcome to episode number 341 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero. Hope you guys had a wonderful weekend. We had a very, very busy schedule. There was fights all over the world. We will review all that stuff. We'll catch up on the news. We'll preview what's coming up this week and uh, all the stuff we normally do. I may take calls. I may not. I know I sound like a broken record, but I'm tired. <laughs> I'm really, really tired. So I'll go as long as I possibly can. Um, but I really, really want to try to do a Friday show this week, okay? Because it'll probably be the last Friday show of the year. We're pretty much right up at the end of the year. We got a few more fight cards to look forward to, and that's it. So I'll try to do a Friday show. We'll do a show next Monday. That's probably going to be it for the year. I may drop in and do an occasional like best of, you know, like year end awards kind of stuff, fight of the year, fighter of the year, that sort of thing over the, the last few weeks of the year. And then uh, we'll gear up uh, for a, a fresh, great start to 2023, right? All right. Uh, before I go any further, guys, a reminder, please make sure you subscribe to click that notification bell, all that good stuff. And uh, if you can't catch the live video on Mondays, that's all good. Check out the podcast. I mean, you can always watch the video later, of course. Um, and, you know, we ask that you do that. But um, if you can't and you prefer listening to the podcast, you can find me on podcast platforms around the world. Make sure that you're subscribed. And the fee for this show, as always, is I ask that you just share it. Share the news, right? We, we, we build this thing by word of mouth. So that's the fee, guys. Uh, right away, we got a super chat from Aaron Gortman. Thank you so much, Aaron. I appreciate it, brother. He says, love you, Mike. Weight bullying is incredible. Tiafima Lopez was knocking guys out in cartoonish fashion at 135 pounds and just five pounds heavier. He is zero threat of a KO. Interesting comment. Um, I agree with most of it. I wouldn't say zero threat. Some of it is about the opponent. But it is interesting how much things have changed with Tiafima Lopez. I know that's been a, a big um, debate that's been going on, like I'd say the last 48 hours on um, really boxing Twitter, but all over the place, boxing YouTube, all of it, right? Fans are saying, has Tiafima Lopez regressed or is this just a level he always was? And I posed that question on my Twitter account today. Uh, mixed results from you guys. Some of you think um, he has regressed and he was once much, much better. Some of you guys think he's kind of a one-hit wonder that had one big shining night against Lomachenko, and now we're kind of just seeing the guy's normal level. So I'll get into all that and give you guys my opinions in just a little bit here. I appreciate your uh, super chat, Aaron. Um, all right, guys. So, again, it is uh, TNC 341 for the week of, what, December 17th? We're almost up at the end of the year, man. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Let's get into uh, quick news and notes. And then we'll do a big, big review and a preview as well. We got some fights to look forward to tomorrow. We got some Tuesday boxing. How cool is that? Uh, but first, let's uh, start with some, uh, well, first some housekeeping. Um, next Monday, December 19th, will be the last episode of the Neutral Corner for the year. That'll be episode 342. That'll be the last episode of 2022. So just mark that in your calendar, guys. Uh, the last two weeks of the year, we won't have TNC. And then... We'll come back in January, but I'm not sure exactly when. It just depends on the schedule, what kind of news breaks, that sort of thing, right? But we'll definitely be back in January. At most, we'll be out for like three weeks, okay? Um, I'll still be active on my Twitter and all that stuff. I'll still be chatting with you guys there. And like I said a minute ago, 
I may drop in here on the channel and do like a, you know, fighter of the year, pound for pound, top 10, year end, pound for pound, top 10, stuff like that. So just want to put that out there. Um, there's, oh, we have a special visitor. Oh, say hi, Jack, Jack, Jackie, say hi. There's Jackie, everybody. There's my little daughter. She just turned seven weeks old. She just had a bath. Hey, baby. You want to say hi to everybody? Uh, she's being quiet now. She's been screaming all week, all weekend. All right, baby. Bye-bye. Say hi. Say hi. <laughs> oh. Yeah, she almost did. Oh. She almost waved. Oh. She's actually starting to smile and uh, interact. And, like, she'll kind of talk with you, you know. She'll go, eh. You'll say something. She'll go, eh. She'll make a little noise and she'll have a little conversation with you and baby talk. It's really, really cute. I wish I could get her to smile right. She has the cutest freaking smile. You guys are going to love it. Um, all right. Hi, baby. Oh, there she goes. She's smiling a little bit. Do you see yourself, baby? <laughs> ah, she's hungry. Seven weeks old. Bye. And of course, my wife, Tiffany. You guys already know Tiff. <laughs> all right, baby. Just the baby. It's just a baby older. Uh, see you soon. Okay. Um, so pardon the interruption, but that was a good interruption, right? You guys got to see a cute baby, seven weeks old. Uh, so the only after this week, all right, we got I mean, we got some fights this week, but after this week, of course, it's the Christmas holiday, it's all the holidays, right? And then um, we have a, a December 31st show in Tokyo. That's always the last show of the year, obviously. They always do a, a New Year's show over there. So um, there's just not much going on the last couple of weeks of the year. So there's no reason to do the show, like I said. Uh, but that Tokyo card features a fight between Kazuto Ioka and Joshua Franco. That's a 115-pound unification. That's a good freaking fight. So that'll be one to check out. But uh, that's it. That's all we really have those last couple of weeks of the year. So uh, like I said, I'll probably do a wrap-up show this Friday. 70-30, I'll do that. Okay, but 100% will have TNC episode 342 next Monday, December 19th. And then that's it for the year, other than some one off videos here and there. So just some housekeeping, wanted to put that out there. All right, guys, uh, sad news Mills Lane, famous referee, but also famous for all kinds of other things. I uh, had the TV show. Um, he actually is kind of like a, a real big celebrity in Reno, Nevada, that kind of became his adopted hometown. He died at the age of 85 last week. And uh, what a life this man lived. Uh, just an incredible life. Kind of did a little bit of everything, especially in the sport of boxing. He really did do a little bit of everything. Uh, boxed in the Marine Corps. He's, he's a Marine. Uh, he fought as amateur and pro. I think he started boxing in the Marines. And he was 10-1 and one as a pro. Actually lost his pro debut by stoppage. He was stopped in his pro debut. Came back and won his next 10 fights. And then goes on to judge eight fights. He actually judged. He was a professional judge for eight fights. Uh, I should mention he fought right around a junior uh, welterweight, right around 140. I should mention that. But uh, judge like eight pro fights. I think he promoted the fight card at one point, maybe in the 90s, early 2000s. And then, um, of course, what he's known for, he refed over 200, well over 200 fights. It might have been almost 300 uh, fights. And some of the biggest fights of the 1990s. Everybody remembers, let's get it on, right? Right right before the fight would start. That was his catchphrase. Uh, everybody remembers that. And he was 
a part of some of the biggest fights because of the action, the importance, but also some of the freakiest moments. He was in the ring for some of the craziest, wackiest shit we ever saw. Uh, some of those heavyweight fights in the 90s, man, there was never a dull moment. Um, so he was a part of all that. And he kind of turned that celebrity into this run on television. He had a show as a, a judge, kind of like, you know, the Judge Judy. There's all these judge shows, right? I think in the 90s, like everybody had a reality show. And then like late 90s into the early 2000s, everybody had a judge show. There was a million judge shows. So he had that for a while. Um, MTV used to do this thing called Celebrity Deathmatch, which is like claymation. Um, and he was part of that. Um, so he had this interesting TV run. You know, but a lot of people, what they don't know about him is in, I think it was in Nevada, he was a sheriff, he was a district attorney and a district judge. So he was also like a public servant. You know what I mean? This guy just had this really well-rounded life. And as I mentioned um, in Reno, Nevada is adopted hometown where he was so beloved. Uh, they actually named a courthouse after him. So, so that tells you just, just how important he was to, to that community there. So um, what a, an amazing, wonderful life. And, and I hope that, you know, it, I hope I live to be 85. I hope I could be a hundred. Um, I hope I have accomplished half the things this man accomplished just a great, great life. And I, um, I don't always talk about, you know, when people in the boxing community die here on this show, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, but this is one where I felt, you know, really should mention this because, uh, this, this guy just touched a lot of lives, not just for, what he accomplished in boxing, but his also his public service, you know, uh, working in law. And, um, and then also he had this like kind of celebrity TV career. It was just this amazing, well-rounded life. And yeah, he's a Marine just like me. So of course I got, I got to support my Marine Semper Fi, baby. Um, so there we go. Okay. Let's uh, let's get into this review. And last Saturday, we had some action um, on both sides of the pond. In Belfast, Northern Ireland, Michael Conlon scores a TKO1 win against Kareem Guerfi in a featherweight fight. Uh, big explosive performance from Conlon. Uh, so good for him. That, was, of course, was a Conlon boxing show. So, um, you know, the crowd was into it. And um, they've promoted several of these shows over there. And um, Michael Conlon, friend of the show, we've had him on. Maybe we'll have him back on one of these times, but a great win for him staying busy. And then in Leeds, England, upset special, but this was a minor upset because we talked about this on the show last week. And several of you guys, I know Nacho called in and talked about this, um, you know, that going into this fight, this was Josh Warrington defending his featherweight title, his IBF featherweight title against uh, Mexican fighter Luis Alberto Lopez, who was a mandatory and some of these Mexican fighters, man, they've had a hell of a run over in England recently, going over there and challenging for some of these titles. They, they really, you see upset specials all the time. And so we said it here on this show, and I know several of you guys in the chat said it, Lopez coming into this was a really, really live dog. I don't remember what the odds were. I'm not sure. But I'm pretty sure Warrington was the slight betting favorite. So correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. But the fact that this was in Leeds, England, and everything else, um, I think that he had to be the betting favorite, right? So anyway, Lopez beats Warrington by majority decision. Scores were 115-113 twice. One judge had a 114-114. I thought 115-113 for Lopez was a good score. This was a close fight. It just, this wasn't a, a wipeout. This was close. 
But I think if you were going to give it to either guy, you got to give it to Lopez, particularly considering everything I brought up. He's fighting on the road and the champion's hometown, all of that. You know, he's giving all that up, all those concessions. And he was able to do the better work throughout this fight. Uh, Warrington, of course, led with his head a lot. This guy has cut so many fighters. He's just one of those guys that leads with his head a lot. Reminiscent of Evander Holyfield, uh, Bernard Hopkins, there are just certain fighters in their style. Andre Ward, they just cause headbutts, and, and Warrington is one of them. Not that I put him on the level of those fighters talent-wise, of course. Anyway, uh, a, a cut was opened over Lopez's, I think, left eye. I think it was the left eye uh, from a headbutt early on, I think second round from Warrington, just leading with his head. Lopez didn't let that deter him. You know, he just came in so determined and stuck to his game plan and grinded out a uh, close, but in my opinion, concise decision win to grab this belt. So uh, Mexico versus UK. Woo. UK guys, you're having a rough run with these Mexican challengers recently, man. Um, okay, so so for Lopez, obviously he's a player at featherweight, and that division's wide open. It's wide freaking open. But Warrington, I, you know, he he's he won a belt. He won it a couple times. He's had a pretty good run. He is a classic overachiever with his style. I think he's a top 10 featherweight, but I'd say a lower top 10 featherweight. Um, he's always going to be a tough night because of his style, but I got to say outside of the UK, if he were to travel and challenge for titles in other parts of the world, Australia, the United States, Mexico, wherever it is, he's going to struggle. He's going to struggle against the top featherweights. I just don't think he's quite at that elite level. Uh, as for Lopez, it's going to be interesting to see where he can go from here. You know, maybe this W is what gives him confidence and boosts him to another level, or maybe he's pretty much at the level of Warrington, and this was just a style thing. We'll have to find out. Okay, let's go to the United States, the U.S. of A, and let's start in Omaha with this pay-per-view card in Omaha, Nebraska. Terrence Crawford, of course, defending his welterweight title uh, against David Avanesian, who is a quality top 10 welterweight lower tier top 10 might be just outside the top 10 honestly if we're being if we're being real Avanesian might be a top 15 guy or at the very bottom of the top 10 all right but having said that uh Avanesian has been in with some good opposition in his career and he's come up short for the most part when he steps up but nobody has blanked him the way Crawford did so Crawford scores a KO6 win here, but it wasn't just that he got the stoppage. The stoppage was beautiful. It was, you know, one punch knockout. It was highlight reel. You guys saw videos of that all over social media over the weekend. But it was that Bud dominated this fight from start to finish. Opening bell, Bud's in full control. So dominant performance, yes. Stoppage win, decisive, explosive, exciting, yes. However, okay, for everybody saying that he's going to go in there and do this to Errol Spence, I think you need to slow your roll a little bit. Completely different style, completely different fight, completely different level of operator there. Avanesian, I mentioned, legit fighter, 
quality, good prize fighter. He gives a good effort against everybody, even when he comes up short. But if we look at his resume, okay, his biggest win, he did beat Josh Kelly, who, who was a prospect. Kelly has since kind of looked better since then. He's kind of improved since that loss. That might be his best win. But his best win on paper is beating a completely shot Shane Mosley in 2016. That's Avenesian's best win. All right. Um, he he fought Lamont Peterson in 2017, lost a close decision, but he lost. It was it was concise. He lost that fight, but it was close. So he was competitive with Lamont Peterson. Okay. And then he fought Mean Machine, Igadigis Kavaliauskas in 2018. That was four years ago. The Mean Machine stopped him. Can you guess what round? The sixth. So on paper, all right, I, I get it. It's it's different, but on paper, Terrence Crawford didn't accomplish anything different than Igadigis Kavaliauskas accomplished four years ago, scoring a sixth round stoppage against David Avenesian. Now, mind you, Kavaliauskas had some difficult moments with Avenesian. You know, Avenesian won some rounds in that fight. Okay. I'm not, it wasn't the same kind of stoppage, not nearly as decisive and definitive. I'm not trying to say that. All right. Don't, don't mix up my words. What I'm saying is on paper, you go to box rec, both Igadijas Kavaliauskas and Terrence Bud Crawford have a six round stoppage over David Avenesian. Okay. So in the, in the books, it's the same thing. I mention this because, you know, people do get caught up in the moment a little bit. Now, listen, I've always favored Terrence Crawford over Errol Spence. And Errol Spence and the WBC, the IBF, Showtime, Steven Espinoza, all of them have been working together, exchanging money, doing what they got to do behind closed doors to protect Errol Spence and delay this fight with Terrence Crawford as long as possible. And by the time it happens next spring, Crawford will be much older, more advanced than Spence in years, um, and probably boxing mileage because he's the guy who started his career at 135. And he's fighting guys at 147 now for several years. Uh, he's a big, strong, physical welterweight, but Spence has been a big, strong, physical welterweight for his entire career. So PBC has waited this out as long as they absolutely can. And they've had help from different entities, right? We know this. I could go into the details of the WBC and the IBF and how they've manipulated the system and all that, but I'm not going to do all that here. Um, and boy, does Steven Espinosa get mad at me on Twitter these days when I talk about that stuff. Boy, does he get mad. And his alt accounts go after me too. I actually learned which one of his uh, those accounts is his recently. Uh, thanks to one of you guys who uh, hooked me up with some of the forensic data on that. <clears throat> anyway, yeah. I still favor Terrence Crawford when these two fight next year. Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence will fight next spring. But is he going to wipe the guy out? Is he going to absolutely annihilate him? Is it going to look anything like this fight with David Avenesian or his fight with Sean Porter? No. It's going to be a very, very close tactical, technical fight. Um, it's not going to be fought at nearly the pace that this fight was fought at. People talk about Errol Spence's activity. You throw so many punches. He's not going to fight that way against Terrence Crawford because he's going to be countered. It's going to be a very, very different fight. We'll talk about that when it happens. I should mention, Errol Spence was involved in another car accident this weekend. This guy has more car accidents than title defenses, uh, certainly more car accidents than mandatory defenses in uh, recent years.
But this one wasn't his fault. Some 14-year-old kid stole a car and crashed into him. Apparently, there's a leg injury. I don't know how serious it is. We'll find out. Never a dull moment there in Dallas, Texas, man. I tell you what. But for now, Terrence Crawford gets back, um, back in the ring, gets six rounds of work, gets a stoppage. This fight, by the way, lost a shitload of money. I, I don't believe that he made $10 million. I don't believe the reports from sources out. I just don't believe all that. But he got paid, still got paid his seven figures. Uh, BLK Prime lost their ass on this promotion, especially if they really did pay out 10 mil. I guess we'll learn about that later on. Here's my question to you guys. Did seeing Terrence Crawford beat David Avenesian like this, did it make you any more interested in a fight between Crawford and Errol Spence next year? Did it whet your appetite at all? And I'll add, obviously Spence is going to fight Keith Thurman, right? They WBC, they arranged this with Al Heyman and all those guys. That's happening next year. Fox pay-per-view probably. And Spence will beat Thurman. Yes, a lot of you guys say, oh, Thurman's a live dog. I get it. I get guys. Spence is going to win, okay? Spence is going to win, trust me. Is that going to whet your appetite anymore? Is seeing Errol Spence beat a half-retired flute player for the last, who's done nothing for five years, and seeing Terrence Crawford uh, annihilate a top 15 level guy who's had a couple of solid performances, uh, does that whet your appetite for that fight anymore? Or are you still kind of over it? Are you fatigued on it? Uh, obviously when that fight happens, we're going to watch, right? We're going to watch. Uh, but, and I know some of you booked your flights to Las Vegas when Mike Coppinger and Dan Raphael and those guys told you to this summer. Uh, so I know some of you guys are actually going to travel and go to the fight, but I would just wonder for, for those of you out there who are interested in watching it, did this make you any more excited about it? Or are you pretty much at the same level you were before? Just curious about that. All right, let's go to New York. Uh, where they had the Heisman Trophy ceremony. I didn't watch it. I have no idea who won the Heisman Trophy. Don't give a shit. Um, but Top Rank had some boxing at New York, uh, Madison Square Garden right there in the in the city. And uh, on the undercard, several of their prospects stayed busy, got Ws. Xander Zayas got in eight good, solid rounds of work, gets a W. Keyshawn Davis gets a W. Delonte Johnson gets a W, Right. All those prospects got W's. Keyshawn Davis, Delonte Johnson, 2020 American Olympians. They both, I think, have seven fights now. I Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe seven fights. They're kind of fighting at the same schedule. I like that Top Rank's doing that. They're keeping those 2020 Olympians busy, man. And there's every single card they put on, I feel like there's one or two of them on there. I love that they're doing that. Smart, smart, smart. For Zayas. Some people don't like the way he fights. They think he's too timid. They think he's too technical. Listen, the kid's in his early 20s. He got in eight good rounds of work against a fighter who wasn't there to lay down. I think that was a very good fight for him. Great matchmaking from top rank. And this is something to build on for Zayas into 2023 when he will step it up a bit. Top rank will step it up a bit. But the big, big prospect, big baby, Jared Anderson, he really scored the performance of the night TKO two win over Jerry Forrest, who is a journeyman level heavyweight. Let's be real gatekeeper level heavyweight. And I don't use those terms disrespectfully. That's just where the guy is, but 
he usually goes rounds. I want to say he got stopped once early. He got iced by Gerald Washington back when he was like an undefeated prospect. Other than that, Forrest goes rounds. He goes the distance, right? He goes deep into fights. And so for Jared Anderson to score this sort of stoppage over him, it's impressive. Anderson's a young guy too, and he's 13-0 and now, all 13 of his wins by knockout. It's going to be a struggle for top rank to get him rounds, right? Without stepping him up too fast, too soon. You can't put it. I hear people out there saying, oh, he's ready for the top guys. Put him in there right now with Luis Ortiz, Deontay Wilder, that level of guy who's like at the top level, but a little bit faded, a little bit beat up. Put him in there against one of those guys. See what he can do. Dillian White, same kind of guy. You got slow down, slow down. All right. Let's see him in there against a guy like Hergovich or, you know, another young guy or something like that. Uh, let's see him in there against a faded top 20 level heavyweight first. I would just want to see this guy get rounds. And trust me, top rank knows what they're doing. There's no rush with, with Anderson. Uh, he is a heavyweight, so the money's there. Do you want to get to the money, right? But before you put him up against the top 10 heavyweight, get him in there against like a legit top 20 dude that you know is durable and can take him rounds. Um, there's several guys that we can think of. Uh, I wonder how he'd look against Zeli Zhang or uh, Carlos Takam. He hasn't fought him yet, right? Uh, someone like that, he's usually pretty durable, but he's kind of undersized. Uh, you, you want him in there with a bigger guy. He's got some size that you know can go rounds. He might be ready for a Joseph Parker. Joseph Parker just had a you know a really tough fight, was knocked out. Um, if he's ready to fight next year, maybe one fight and then a Joseph Parker level guy because he's big and physical, dur durable. Um, maybe that's the level you can go to because I think uh, Parker's on his way out. Perhaps you could do something like that, but um, they got something here. We we just don't know how Jared Anderson's going to look late in a fight when he's tired against the guy who won't go away. And we don't know what's going to happen when he gets clocked with a hard shot from a really hard punching heavyweight. We haven't seen those two things. You know, it looks like if you look at the eye test, it looks like um, he's going to do just fine. It looks like he has the right mentality and stuff, right? Uh, Riddick Bowe, a lot of people compare him to Riddick Bowe. I think he's the best American heavyweight prospect since Riddick Bowe. I've talked about that in the show months ago. Months ago, I talked about that. And I'm not the only one who's, who's brought up the Riddick Bowe comparison. But um, he's kind of got all the good aspects of Riddick Bowe with none of the bad shit, at least so far. At least so far. So, um, man, I'm, I'm excited because he could be one of those guys that really, really could be. He looks like he could be a long reigning American born and bred heavyweight champion. We haven't seen that in a long time. It's been really since like the 90s, right? And he has the looks so far of being potentially that guy, could really change the game. And he's with the right promotion. They know how to build him up. Top rank doesn't usually work with heavyweights, at least not in recent decades, but they know talent when they see it and they pick this kid up for a reason. So um, I think they know they got something and they're going to develop him correctly. I can't wait to see what he can do in 2023. All right. In the main event, 
Tiafima Lopez, split decision against Sandor Martin. So one judge had it for Martin. This was a 10-round fight, I should mention. I think one judge had it six rounds four for Martin. And the other two judges had it pretty wide for Lopez. One judge had it eight rounds to two. The other had it seven rounds to three. This felt like a 6-4 kind of fight. That's what it felt like to me. I don't know what you guys think. I know a lot of people out there scored it for Martin. A lot of people scored it a draw. Let me put this on record. I personally thought, I well, I'm cool with Lopez getting the decision here. And I'll mention why. Okay, I'll get to it. I'm cool with him getting the decision. I'm not cool with those two wide scorecards. I'm not cool with referee Ricky Gonzalez missing that knockdown in the seventh. Okay. So sticking with my six rounds to four type of score for this fight, if you give it to Lopez six rounds to four, and then you score the two knockdowns correctly, uh, Gonzalez did score the, the first knockdown in the second round. He scored that correctly. You score those two knockdowns correctly. That's a draw. So you'd have to give Lopez seven rounds to win. Um, maybe you can argue he won seven rounds. The eight rounds to two is terrible. That's just a terrible scorecard. But I, I don't have a problem with him winning because I think Sandor Martin gave this fight away. I really do. I think he had a chance. To, and we, we see this all the time in boxing. You're going up against an A-side. You're fighting in their hometown. Dude, you got to step on the gas pedal. You have to let your hands go more. You have to show aggression. You have to go to the body. You have to throw power punches. I talked earlier about what Luis Alberto Lopez did over in Leeds, England. That is the way you fight a betting favorite in their hometown, the guy with, with the belt in that case, who's fighting for a championship. But in this case, man, I want to say like Tiafima Lopez was like a seven to one favorite or something like that. Those, uh, those odds were way too wide. Uh, those of you who bet, you probably uh, could have, could have won some money on that. But um Sandal Martin just didn't throw enough punches, in my opinion. I, you know, I looked at the CompuBox, and I know some of you guys hate CompuBox, but listen, when you see one guy landing like three or four times as many body punching, body punches, does CompuBox get it wrong sometimes? Yeah, they're off by about 10%, though. They're not missing that many punches. If one guy's landing, I'm just going to throw this isn't the numbers for that fight, but just in general, if one guy's landing 40 body punches and they say the other guy lands 10, even if they're off by five punches and it's really 35 to 15, that dude's still getting doubled up on body punching. Okay. And in this fight, Tiafima Lopez did better on the body punching. He threw more, he landed more. And I want to say he threw more and landed more in every statistical category, jabs, power punches, all of it. Sandor Martin looked good he, when he countered and he had some good moments. He he showed some of the weaknesses Tiafimo continues to have that his father can't correct. I'll talk about that in a second. Put him down twice off of uh, counter hooks when, when Lopez was diving in. Uh, from the southpaw stance, these were right hooks. And Tio maybe just that, that angle messed with him. He, he didn't see it coming. I don't know. Was never hurt. There were flash knockdowns, but they were legit knockdowns. And against a guy who can really crack, you know, he might have a problem. Against a guy like Regis Progre, against a guy like Josh Taylor, yeah, Tiafima Lopez is going to have a problem against those fighters. 
After this bout, he said to his dad right there in the ring, do I still got it? He literally asked his dad that right there in front, and the cameras caught it. And I'm sure you guys have seen some of the memes and stuff going around talking about that because you just don't hear young fighters in their physical prime asking questions like that, especially after a win. So, so that was very, very interesting and very, very telling. So now we get back to the question I posed right at the beginning of the show. Is Tiafima Lopez overrated? Has he regressed? You know, uh, did he already peak and regress as a fighter? Is this who he always was? And he had one perfect moment against Lomachenko? Maybe it's all those things. Maybe it's all those things. Um, I will say this. A lot of people bash Tiafima Lopez Sr., the trainer, the father trainer. There's plenty to bash. Okay, the guy makes it easy with some of his antics. But he's gotten his son pretty damn far in the sport. A lot of you that watch my podcast or interact with me on Twitter and all that stuff, you have children who box, right? Or maybe you box and your father trained you or whatever. How many father-son trainers get to the point where they become an undisputed champion of a division and they beat a future Hall of Famer, a future all-time great? Not many, not many. And Tiafima Lopez Sr. got his son there. A lot of that has to do with Tiafima Lopez Jr.'s talent and all the physical work and and, and uh, sacrifice he's made. But Sr. got him there. So I, I, I we need to give him that credit. I think people forget that. He deserves that much credit. However, I think it's very, very clear that Tiafima Lopez Jr. has completely plateaued, hit his peak with his father. And there are technical flaws, massive technical flaws that he got away with at 135 pounds that he is not going to get away with at 140. And eventually he's going to wind up at 147. He will outgrow 140. He's still a young guy. He is not going to be able to get away with those technical flaws at 140 and 147 against the elite of those divisions the way he did at 135. He got away with it because he was so much bigger and stronger than the fighters at 135, including Vasily Lomachenko, who was a featherweight. It was his best win, right? Um, but even like George, George Cambosos Jr. exposed some of those flaws in their fight, right? Uh, and, and Cambosos is a, is a limited lightweight. He, he's a top 10 guy, but lower tier top 10. But he does have explosiveness, speed, and power. And that was enough to put uh, Lopez on his butt in their fight and, uh, and eke out a decision win over him. Okay, so I, I need to mention this because people keep bringing up the Lomachenko fight and the Kome fight. And my boy, Sanch, I saw you in the chat earlier at the top of the show, and I saw you uh, trolling me a little bit on Twitter. That's, I know, it's all love. You were talking about the fact that Joey Gamash was in the corner for Tiafima Lopez Jr. in his fight with Lomachenko and with Comey. Those are the two top performances of his career. Also, he had a nutritionist, you know, a, an advanced team around him for those two fights. And it's no surprise he put on the two best performances of his career. I also think part of it was matchmaking, especially against Comey, but even with Lomachenko, 
timing, matchmaking, all of it, weight, all those things. I think he needs that level of team around him to even compete at the highest level in this sport. I think without those people around him, without Joey Gamash or whoever it is, Gamash, guys, Joey Gamash was the one who had the game plan for the Lomachenko fight. He's the guy that should have won trainer of the year that year and all that. Not Tiafima Lopez Sr. Lopez Sr. had very little to do with the Lomachenko win in terms of technicalities, game plan, all that. That was Gamash. But without the advanced nutrition team, which again, that whole nutrition team helped him squeeze down to 135. You don't need him at 140. You don't need him at 147 when he goes there. So the nutrition team, I don't think has much to do with it. They help squeeze him down to 135 for a couple more fights to put on his best performances of his career. But it was Gamash, man. And I don't think Junior is going to leave his father. I don't think he's going to go to a new trainer yet. I do think it will happen at some point. At some point, he's probably going to get knocked out and lose by knockout or have like a really like dominant loss. And at that point, he'll leave his dad and it'll be too late. You could just tell he's going to be loyal to the soil with his pops, right? And that's going to cost him. This is who he is. This version of Tiafima Lopez. How many fights has Tio had? 20-some-odd professional fights? For two of them, he looked like an elite-level special, special fighter. The other fights, when he was... I'm not talking about his fights as a prospect where he's fighting CED-level guys. When he's in there against top 10-level opposition, particularly now at 140, he's not going to look like a generational-type talent. He's not going to look like that guy anymore. That's not who he is. So I think some of you, look, I'll include myself on this. Um, I remember at Ring Magazine, like we immediately ranked him pound for pound after beating Lomachenko. Boom, he hit our pound for pound list. And that was a learning experience for the panel because you cannot give a guy fighter of the year, in my opinion, fighter of the year, or just throw him into a pound for pound list out of nowhere off a one W like that. You just can't do it. And I think Lopez got on all those lists and got all those accolades when he beat Loma because it came off, you know, came after that, that dominant win over Comey and everything. And we were like, whoa, we're looking at the next big thing here. We should have pumped the brakes, as I like to say, um, because he hasn't been able to follow it up. He's made several mistakes with the way he's managed his career. It's clear that he got a massive, massive head. and. Um, I think it was my boy, Steve Kim, that mentioned this in one of his articles. It might've been after the loss to Cambosos. It might've been before that fight. I can't remember for sure, but he, he basically, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, Tio's win over Lomachenko was not a landing pad. It was a launching pad, meaning, dude, that's your first big win. That's the win that launched you into the atmosphere, into the stratosphere. Now you got to go even further. You haven't made it yet. In other words, you haven't made it, bro. You had one big win. It was a, an amazing win. Put you on the map. Now you got to back that shit up. Now you got to do it again and again and again. That's what champions do. That's what elite level generational type of talents do. And he hasn't been able to do that. It's looked like the, it's looked kind of like he's a one hit wonder. And let's be real. 
that one hit wonder came when you're in your early 20s, squeezing down to an unnatural weight against a guy who's a blown up featherweight in his 30s. And it's just perfect night, perfect storm, perfect events, perfect situation. And I'm not trying to downplay the, the, the accomplishment because it was a significant accomplishment, but he hasn't exactly followed it up with dominance, has he? Now, am I saying I'm ready to completely give up on Tiafima Lopez Jr.? No. We, he still may very well prove himself to be an elite-level fighter at 140. Okay, guys, we don't know what the future holds. Sandor Martin is a difficult fighter to look good against. You know, um, he's a spoiler. He's a spoiler. And Tiafima Lopez beat him. I thought he won that fight. The two knockdowns were stupid. But if you just look at who controlled the pace of the fight and who did the better work, other than those two moments, for the most part, it was Tio. So let's give him that much. Um, is he a top 10 fighter at 140? If he is, it's borderline. He's right there in the bubble. He's certainly in the top five. He ain't ready for those guys yet. So, and then him asking his dad, do I still got it? Dude, the, the situation there isn't good. It's not healthy. Something needs to change in that team in that corner. It's on Tiafima Lopez Jr. to make that happen. All the people at top rank can keep whispering in his ear, but if he don't make that change, nothing's going to change, right? Um, so this just might be the level he's at. And guess what? If it is, so what? It's going to make for a fun fight. I still want to see him fight Regis Progre. I still want to see him fight Josh Taylor. His style is going to give those guys problems. They're not going to just mop the floor with him. I would favor them to beat Tio. I would, but I favored Lomachenko to beat him and, Look how that turned out. So you never know. But um, yeah, th that's just where I see him right now. He's it's kind of a mixed bag, dude. It's a mixed bag. All right. I, I will say this. He, he's brought all this on himself. And the way he's handled himself after that big win is very indicative of the modern era of boxing, particularly with American fighters. Sorry, I got to say it. It's it's very particular and specific with American fighters. There's a sense of entitlement, and there's a sense of I made it after one big W. Uh, Devin Haney's father, even more so than Devin Haney himself, but Devin Haney too, uh, ripped, ripped Ring Magazine for not rating him pound for pound top ten after he beat George Cambosos because in their minds, hey, I'm the undisputed lightweight champion of the world. I beat the man who beat the man who beat the man. Yeah, dude, that's one W. Now what? You beat one top guy. Now what? He's not even really that top guy. He's a one-hit wonder himself. Now what? I think that a lot of these guys think that they get one big dub, and now they're the second coming of Floyd Mayweather. They're the second coming of Oscar De La Hoya. It's just there's something in the culture now that uh, breeds th this sort of entitlement mentality, and you see it a lot with these American fighters, dude. Chris Berger with the super chat. Thank you so much, Chris. He says, hey, Devil M, hope you and your awesome family are doing good. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. We're doing good. We're just very tired. But I know I'm a broken record. I've been saying that a lot the last few weeks. Sam A with the super chat. Thank you so much. He says, uh, must DQ Josh Warrington if the headbutts happen again. Also remember Terrence Crawford by KO. I said it, best bet in sports. He does not miss 10 in a row now. That's a great point, Sam. 
The dude has been getting stoppages. People talk about his level of opposition. Yeah, he's not fighting the absolute elite of the welterweight division. I will say this welterweight division is overrated. A lot of people in the American media, because of who their masters are, have to kind of overrate it and bloviate a little bit. Uh, These aren't your 1980s welterweights. They're not even your 2000s welterweights. That being said, um, he has gotten there and scored 10 straight stoppages. You got to give the guys his credit, man. <clears throat> okay. I think, uh, I think there was more. Yes, there was. Sam with another super chat. Thanks again, Sam. He says, Jared Big Baby Anderson is ready for a big fight. Good chin and nonstop punishment. Zhang fought to a draw against Forrest. Jared stopped him in two. Athletic. Athletic, yes. But more than that, dude, explosive. Also, sometimes it's just about mentality. Going forward with your punches, uh, turning over on them, uh, throwing them with bad intentions, you know, and just punch placement, punch selection. He's already elite in terms of American heavyweights with his punch selection. We're not used to seeing American heavyweight prospects look like this because the majority of them in the last couple of decades have been former football players, maybe an occasional former basketball player in the case of Deontay Wilder. Um, and so those guys, you know, they have to think about where they're punching before they do it. Anderson is just a bread boxer. He's just a natural born bread boxer. That's, this is, he's been doing this for a long time since he was a kid. So, uh, it's natural to him and he knows where to place the punches and, uh, yeah, athletic for sure, but explosive. And, and you take that athleticism, that explosiveness, you add it to, he's got good size, not too big though, not too big, just big enough in this modern heavyweight era, but not too big. Bill, just like Riddick Bow, seriously, in shape Riddick Bow. And uh, you, so you add all those elements and then the mentality to it and, and the fundamentals. It's a dangerous combination, bro. Is he ready for a big fight? Define big fight. As I mentioned before, maybe a lower tier top 10 or just outside the top 10 now guy, you know, faded now, maybe top 15. Maybe that's where we go next. Would I put him in there against a top five guy right now? Would I put him in there against Joe Joyce or someone like that? No, absolutely not. That would be too much too soon. All right. Let's keep it going. Sam with another super chat. Thanks again. He said, Tio can't take much of a punch. Regis Progray will finish him early. Tiafima better go elsewhere for a fight. He is overrated. Can't cut the ring off. Lunges. Well, um, you know, it's funny you bring up Progray, and I forgot to mention this. He did say he'd be willing to fight Progray. He'd be willing to fight Taylor. He said he'd like to do a rematch with Cambosos. So Cambosos does have an option for a big fight there if he wants to come back to America and do a fight at 140 in New York against Tiafima Lopez. Top rank would be open to that, and he could get another big payday. So that's good for Cambosos. Um, yeah, I'm with you, though, man, with Regis and with Taylor uh, and a couple other guys. I, I just don't think Tio's ready for that quite yet. He does lunge. He does make a lot of fundamental mistakes. Would he do that against those fighters? I don't know. Perhaps part of why he was doing it against Martin is because he didn't respect him enough. Maybe he thought, this guy's a punk. This guy can't punch hard. I'm just going to go in there and intimidate, intimidate him. And that's why I lunged in. I don't know. We have seen him do that though, in a lot of fights. And you're, you're absolutely right that against like Regis Progray, that will not work out well for him. 
at all, at all. But he will be able to punch Progray. Progray, you can hit him, right? His defense is not impregnable. And Tio is going to land some shots on him as well. So that would be a good fight. Both men would do good work. I don't think either man gets either one out early. I think it'd go rounds. That's just my feel on it. Papa Chubby with Super Chat. Thank you so much. He says, most fathers can't handle youth amateur level. LOL. You're right. Let's be honest. 99% of father trainers, their kids uh, struggle at the amateur novice level. So for Teofimo Lopez Sr. to take his son as far as he has, the man deserves credit. He does deserve credit. However, they've reached their peak. It's pretty evident to anybody with eyeballs and a brain. Uh, so it's up to Junior to make some changes. All right. I think I'm caught up. Actually, no, I'm not. Sam with another super chat. He says, Sandor Slim Shady Martin. I love it. Yeah, I think, you know what, Sam? I think I, I get what you're getting at. Um, I think that's how Tiafima Lopez viewed him and um, took him lightly for that reason. The same way he took George Camboso slightly. And that's on Tio and his ignorance. Um, Tio's father has said certain things like that. Um, so... Yeah, I'll just leave that alone. Anthony Santiago with a super chat. Thank you so much. And he says, what up, Mike, in chat? Tio needs a good mentor like Canelo around. Interesting point. No pack you review, LOL. Just kidding. He shouldn't be in exhibitions. He tried to kill that guy. Yeah, so look, I should mention that, brother. Um, and I totally forgot about this, but Manny Pacquiao yesterday fought a martial artist whose name I think is Nukyu. Tell me if I'm pronouncing that right, but you guys know what that rhymes with, right? I just thought that's hilarious. Uh, you're fighting a guy whose name literally rhymes with F U. Um, but from what I, I didn't watch the fight, but from the video I saw, this dude had no business being in a boxing ring. Insane. But uh, man, he still looked pretty good. But you know, he's gonna look good against those kinds of guys. Hey, I look at Manny's exhibition the same way I look at Floyd's. Make that money. If there's gullible people that want to give you money for that shit, take the money, take the money and run. David Palmer with the super chat. Thank you so much, David. I appreciate it. He says, love the show, Mike, just tuning in. So sorry if covered already. Looks like golden boy have won the purse bid for Ortiz jr. Versus Stanionis. What a fight that will be. Has that finally been, is that been officially mandated? Wow. If it has, that's awesome. And good on golden boy for bidding. Let's see if I can look this up. Um, so I can give you guys some news right here. Purse bid, Golden Boy, Ortiz, and Stanny Onis. All right, seven minutes ago. Wow, I just okay. Wow, yeah. So let's cover this here. We'll we'll go ahead and give box uh, boxing scene a plug. Share my screen. We'll read this together, ladies and gentlemen. We'll read this together. Uh, Stanios Ortiz, Golden Boy Promotions, $2.3 million secures the rights to the WBA regular welterweight title fight. So um, the, the other bid, the other top bid was from Premier Boxing Champions who submitted $2.1 So they outbid them just barely. 
So Golden Boy um, placed their bets and did a good job, just barely outbidding them. Stanionis is entitled to 75% or 1.7 mil of the bid as a defending title holder because I think he has the regular belt or whatever it is. And the remaining 25%, just over half a mil, goes to Ortiz as the mandatory challenger. Let's see. Uh, the fight was ordered November. So it was ordered November 18th, 30 day negotiation. It has to take place. Oh, the negotiation period has to take place uh, by January. Okay. So interesting, man. I like that fight a lot. And it's likely to land sometime in February on the zone. Well, that'll be great for the zone. That'll be great for them. That'll be a great start to the year for them. Cause that's a great fight. I gotta say, a lot of people are super high on Stanley Onis, and I think he's a good quality fighter. I like Ortiz in that fight. I like Ortiz in that fight. So props to Golden Boy for winning the purse bid. So there's no fuckery there. And their fighters protected. And that's a way for Virgil Ortiz to get in the title mix. Listen, by next, by the end of next year, okay, both Jerron Boots Ennis and Virgil Ortiz will have full quote unquote championships at welterweight the crawford spence winner will dump all the belts and likely move up to 154 that's probably what's going to happen and the welterweight division is going to blow up and it's going to be a free-for-all for all the world titles that's the way i see it playing out all right are we caught up i do believe we are all right Let's uh, move forward, shall we? Preview time. Tuesday, that's tomorrow, December 13th in Tokyo, Naoya Inoue versus Paul Butler for the undisputed bantamweight championship of the world. This is awesome. And it's taking place. The ring walks will happen in local time over there in Japan right around 9.30 p.m. So they're doing this early, which is interesting. The ring walks for the main event just before 10 p.m., which means on the East Coast here in America. It'll be around 7.30 a.m. For you guys on the West Coast, it's going to be real early, 4.30 a.m. So I don't know how many of you are going to watch this live over there on the West Coast, but my eyes are going to be up at 7.30 anyway. I'm definitely checking this out tomorrow morning. This will be on ESPN Plus here in the United States. I don't know if the U.K. networks have picked this up yet, though, because um, the last time I checked, there was no network coverage of this fight in the UK, which is crazy. How does that happen? How does that happen? Somebody had to pick this up. I hope somebody, and if they have, let me know in the chat, guys, okay? So I'll mention here on the show. But yeah, last time I checked, they did not have a distributor over there in um, in the UK, which is just insane to me. So obviously, uh, I favor the monster in that fight, and you have to. You just have to. I think this would have been more fun in the UK. I think um, just because of the crowd and everything else, and I want to see the monster travel, but who knows why and how it wound up this way for Butler. He definitely got paid more traveling to Japan and maybe that's what it was for him. He wanted to get paid more. I I'm not sure, but the question will be after this, depending on how he wins, where do you rate the monster pound for pound? And where does he stack up on your fighter of the year awards, right? Who's your fighter of the year? Where does he rank? So we'll debate all that later on. Uh, also, Friday, December 16th in Quebec, 
I think just like an hour or two outside of Montreal. Uh, undefeated Russian heavyweight, now based in Montreal, Ars Lenbeck Mahmudov, who is 15-0, 33 years old, going up against uh, Michael Valish, a German who gets stopped every time he steps up. So I like uh, Mahmudov to score a uh, decisive stoppage win in this fight. Interesting uh, heavyweight prospect you guys have there in Montreal. Shout out to all my Canadian listeners. I appreciate you guys. And then Saturday, December 17th here in America, TGB Promotions and Samson Boxing uh, coming together in a joint promotion at the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas. This is PBC on Showtime. And basically they're keeping um, several of their prospects busy. Um, again, several of them are, are in there like against TBA opponents. Brandon Lee is one of them. I know he's on this card. He doesn't have an opponent yet. It's still TBA. So they better get him an opponent soon and they better step that guy up come next year. Um, so, but really, really good matchup here between two young undefeated fighters in the main. I'll get to that. Gotta mention, I don't know which one's the main or co-main, but Jose was caught the guy. Remember him fighting Vladimir Shishkin, a 13 and O prospect originally out of Russia, now living and fighting out of Detroit, my hometown, 12 rounds, 168 pounds. Shishkin, one of the best looking prospects in the super middleweight division going up against his best, most experienced opponent to date. You guys may remember Uskatagai was supposed to fight David Benavidez in November, tested positive for performance enhancing drugs. They tried to reschedule that fight for next January, next month. But there is such a public backlash that Showtime reneged. They pulled back on that fight. And now Benavides is going in a different direction. Yet, Uskatagai is still fighting, and he's fighting on network cable. So this is a guy who tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs and not that long after is fighting on Showtime again. I should also mention that his last three fights, this is supposed to be a super middleweight fight. His last three fights were well over the super middleweight limit. In fact, I think his last fight was at 191 pounds or one of them. He's had three fights recently, all in Mexico. And he's been a light heavyweight or cruiserweight in those fights. Now he's going to be a super middleweight. So you got a guy that's been fighting as high as cruiserweight, hiding out in Mexico, been busted for performance enhancing drugs, has to cut down to 168, and you're bringing him in on a televised card. I mentioned all this because Steven Espinoza has been very, very vocal on Twitter bashing other promoters who had dopers on their events. Remember, Matchroom was supposed to have Connor Ben on a fight card. He tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs, and Eddie tried to push that card forward because that was going to be a big, big fight over there. Connor Ben was going to be in a big, big fight against Eubank. They tried to push that forward. Steven Espinoza, really, really vocal about his um, disapproval of that, yet had no issue trying to reschedule a fight between Uzcatagai and David Benavidez. Stop that fight because there was so much backlash. Still having Uzcatagai on air. And again, you want to talk about a dangerous situation. If I'm Vladimir Shishkin, if I'm his team, I am taking a hard look at Uzcatagai. And I would, I would demand advanced testing 
To my knowledge, they're not doing that. Vada's not involved in this card, to my knowledge. If I'm wrong, somebody out there, please correct me. But you got a guy that's been hiding out in Mexico where you can buy performance-enhancing drugs over the counter there at, at drugstores. No big deal. Stuff that half-life's out of your system in a day or two, okay? They use that stuff to cut weight all the time. And this is a guy that, has been, again, 191 pounds recently. Got to squeeze down to 168. I don't know, dude. <laughs> Gee, what could go wrong here? But I say all that. Really, really good fight here between Michelle Rivera and Frank Martin. Michelle Rivera, 24 and 0, 24 years old, uh, now fights out of Miami, but originally from the Dominican Republic, going up against Frank Martin, 16 and 0, 27 years old, Southpaw, out of Detroit originally, now fights, I think, out of Indianapolis. I should mention that uh, Rivera is 5 foot 9, 71 inch reach, and Martin, 5 foot 8, 68 inch reach. This is a 12 round lightweight fight. So, Listen, I, I criticize often because they make it very easy to criticize. I get accused of being a hater. I promise I'm not. I'm just trying to tell the truth here. PBC usually matches their prospects and their young fighters very, very soft. But I must give them credit here. This is a great matchup. I like this. These two fighters are 40-0 combined. They're both in their mid-20s. And... They're going to fight each other on a Showtime card. Good stuff. This is uh, what the last PBC card of the year, I do believe. And I like this fight. I don't like that this Kata guy is getting another date on premium network cable. I don't like that. But I like this fight a lot. And I'll definitely be watching it. This is a good fight, man. Good fight. Okay. And um, obviously, Rivera, a little bit younger, a little bit taller, a little bit longer, a little bit more experience. Should be the slight favorite, but I'm pulling for my man Martin because he is going, um, he's representing Detroit. Got to represent D Town. All right, make sure I'm caught up on chats and such. All right, super chats. Yes, I believe I am. Okay, we got a bunch of calls here, guys. Um, I'm only going to pick a few of these, I'm not going to get to all these calls. Uh, but I'm just too damn tired. That's it. So we're going to get a couple calls here and then, um, we're going to call it. Okay. Let's jump over to the UK here. We got a UK caller. Um, let's see. Seven, three, seven. You were on the show. What's up? Evening, Mike. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. It's right from London. I messaged on Friday. I tweeted you just, uh, just to see if you were doing a show. Oh yeah. Okay. What's up, man? Yeah. I mean, all good. Um, first on Theo, agree with much of what you've got to say. I think it really depends on how he views his opponent. Who's the uh, the rangy Japanese guy he struggled with a couple of years? Nakatani. Do you remember? Yeah. That's it. Right. I think going in, if he has a certain perception of his opponent, he doesn't quite mentally prepare in the right way, and then he has a really poor performance based on what he believes he should do. And has a lot of self doubt afterwards. So there's a sort of like mismatch between his preparation. Mm. He did the same with Cambosis, and he did again the same with Martin, I think. And if he has the same mentality, then he's going up against a dangerous fighter, someone who thinks is good, like a Lomachenko or a Clean, then he wouldn't have so many problems. So I think it's a, it's a large psychological part of it uh, that he really has to sort out if 
because he's got a lot of potential. He's only 25. We shouldn't really be having those sort of fundamental doubts at the end of a fight. And it's not just the first time. So right. I hope he can sort of get it together because I think he's super talented. He makes a lot of uh, technical errors, but I think that's partly down to his mindset going into these fights. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is I saw the Ring Magazine rating, heavyweight rating, and I heard what you said uh, last week. Again, it's about AJ being downgraded um, on the basis of his losses to Usyk, and a lot of it links to what you said about the American boxers of today and this entitlement. I just feel like it's so easy to take away a man's strikes for his props after a couple of losses and disregard all the body of work. Instead of sort of giving them credit where it's due and like looking at a, a large body of, of, of work, defenses, unifications, etc., etc. I think it's I struggle to see how people rate Joe Joyce ahead of AJ. He literally had one stand up defense against Parker. And to put Wilder ahead of AJ as well, who's had two KO losses recently. It's just crazy. So, um, yeah, I wonder what you, you thought about it. That mindset and what it does to fighters when they're, they're going into opportunities and looking at like, whether or not they take on a tough fight and deciding to go the easier route. Because if they do lose to, say, the pound-for-pound best fighter in the world, people are going to rank them number four or number five, but they're going to say they're no hopers or they're finished. So, yeah, I Yeah, I completely agree when it comes to Joshua. To, to bump him down below Joyce and, and Wilder, I think is crazy um, if that's what they did. You know, obviously the, the top two heavyweights are Usyk and Fury. You may think Joe Joyce is number three. Like you can make an argument that head to head right now, you know, he's, he's the third best. But in terms of actual accomplishments, you really can't put him there yet. And uh, Joshua's accomplished a lot. He's lost a few, but his resume in terms of the level of opposition is still pretty good. And um, I don't know, Wilder destroying, or I'm sorry, um, yeah, Wilder destroying Hellenius, that bumps him back up in the ratings to like number two, and number three in the division. I don't know about that. But um, some of these platforms, man, they, they have an American bias sometimes. That sort of thing happens. Um, I don't know. Sometimes it's I just about it style, ring. I guess. But did you guys? Did you guys do it? I thought it was a ring rating, but uh, I don't know if you guys did a, a rating recently. The, I know ring has right now. The ring champion is Alexander Usyk because Fury vacated yeah, it. They yeah, they yeah. have Fury number one. They have Wilder yeah. number two, and they have AJ number three. Yeah, I I just you know. I wouldn't have it in that order, but that's that's the way Ring has it right now. I, I don't agree with that, but it is what it is. Yeah. yeah, it is, I see. But, yeah I, I mean, my main thing is one fight or a couple of good takes on for Wilder. It's his recent performance against Hellenius, a knockout win. Spectacular win. I know you guys went back and forth about the legitimacy of that knockout, but we won't get into all of that. Mm. And then for Joyce, he's had like a very good performance, a standout performance against Parker. But again, it's one performance, and we have fallen in in the boxing culture to like, okay, what what did you do yesterday? Forget everything else. Yeah, what and have you done for me lately? Yeah, exactly. Um, 
So, you know, it's a bit of a shame. And and, and then I look at like a, look, Andre is a, the worst of the worst, but I, I look at a, like an Andre, for example, who might have a, a tough op- opponent on one hand and then like a light touch or just, you know, not fighting at all on the other, wait for the Canelo stakes. What is your better option if you know the public is going to downgrade you to trash if you lose a tough fight? Better option for who? For Canelo? For, for an Andre. No, for Andre. For Andre, if he wants a big payday, oh. he could take a tough fight in the interim or he could sit on his ass. He's going to send his ass. That's on the fans. The fans will drive that because every time a fight loses, they suddenly become trash. Yeah. I, it's yeah, it's different. I'm, Andre's in a tough spot, brother, because you know he didn't get that Parker fight. Ryder did. Ryder won. Now Ryder's going to get the Canelo fight next year. <laughs> Canelo and his people are probably negotiating to go to England in May. It wouldn't surprise yeah. me at all if we see Canelo right, fight Ryder in in London at Wembley or something. Wouldn't surprise me at all. To be honest, I'm just using Andre as an example because he, he's probably the worst example. But uh, who is it that he avoided last year? Um, Andre Janabek. 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 Yeah. Right. Let's say your long-term goal as Andre is to get that Canelo fight eventually and you have Janabek in your way. If you know losing to Janabek suddenly makes you garbage in the eyes of all the ratings and all the fans, then why would you fight him? You're risking a career high payday. You're better off just avoiding that fight and doing nothing and hoping to never pick you. And we as fans sort of set up that incentive system where they're so scared to lose that they don't bother fight. I think um, that's that's a very good point. And it, it depends because, look, Canelo fought Floyd Mayweather when he didn't have to. He was 22, 23. And he lost that fight decisively. I thought Floyd shut him out. But it actually yeah. helped Canelo's brand because he fought a champion, you know, when he was still a young guy. It was like a learning lesson. So it actually helped build Canelo's brand. We've seen that so much, man. Um, Caleb Plant, you yeah. know, he – he, uh, I think he's done well in terms of his brand since he lost to Canelo. Um we, we've seen it plenty agree, of times. But that, that's, that's if you get to that fight. So I'm saying you're, again, just using Andre. Okay, to get the main man. You're on the route. Yeah, yeah. So you, well, you've got Janabek in your way. Gennady Golovkin had to fight Daniel Jacobs to get Canelo Alvarez. Um, there's a million examples I could point to. You have to believe in yourself enough to take that challenge to get the main man. And some of these guys do, some of these guys don't. I wish I could think of a better example than that, but there have been several times in recent years, but it's, it's, it's not the American fighters. A lot of times, brother, it's a lot of the British fighters, Yeah, it really is. the fighters from Latin America, from Africa, from Eastern Europe. Those guys seem to be willing to want to prove themselves, you know, um, and they'll, then they get the fight with the main man. 
I think a lot of, um, I think it is quite specific to America because a lot of other places are more forgiving of losses. Certainly yes. in Britain, like Ricky Hatton, he could lose a thousand times. He's got that fan base. We love him anyway. It doesn't, the O doesn't really give him much in terms of fandom and, 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 and in terms of like how much support he gets. But I think we've always, there's slightly different culture. Yeah. Um, maybe in America, it's certainly Floyd's impact in terms of that O being so special and sacred has, has made it specific to, to America, a real pressure there. But I do see it sort of, it infects the, the wider sport because America is such a big market, such a big part of it. You don't really see, yeah, you don't see American prospects fighting each other anymore. It's really sad because of that O factor and because, you know, some ring is going to downgrade you to number eight or throw you out entirely if you, if you take a loss against another prospect. So, I'm just saying, but like to everybody else as well listening, bear that in mind when you're judging a fighter on their most recent performance or on a loss or on a bad performance season. We are all really quick to sort of rank the other guy that did the wild us yesterday so much higher and forget about the body of work and it puts fighters off taking risks. Completely agree, brother. That's, that's all that I had. Really, Mike. Great show again. Oh, and uh, yeah, Jackie's looking like a rule. Looking like she's got some good hands there. Good hands <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Right. Have a good night. Yeah, and then to his point, um, don't judge too harshly off a loss, but also don't judge too harshly off a shaky win. So I, it takes us all the way back to Tiafima Lopez. Yeah, he didn't look great against Sandor Martin. Nobody really does kind of a difficult style. And um, if Sando Martin would have opened up a little more and engaged a little more with Tio, maybe Tio stops him. Maybe Tio drops him or something, you know, we're having a different conversation. So um, I, I think some of you guys just judge a little too harshly based on one performance, man. This ain't basketball, this ain't baseball, this ain't football. Um, a lot can happen in one fight. When you're only fighting twice a year, three times a year tops, it, it gets put under this microscope. You know, in the NBA, you got 82 games a season. LeBron James can look like dog shit in his game tonight. It don't matter. He's got 81 other games to look good in. You know what I'm saying? All right. Uh, Sam A with a super chat says, why rush Mike Tyson at 19, but not Jared Anderson? Good question. Um, much, much different boxing landscape today, though, Sam. You know that. Uh, with Tyson, it was, what, early, mid-80s. That was a very weak era the heavyweight division. I actually think this era of the heavyweights is better globally, maybe not American heavyweights, but globally it's better, much better. And um, they had a marketing thing going on there with Tyson. You know, they, they got him in there. Let's be honest. Tyson's first, however many fights was can after can after can, but they had, he was so popular so fast that they were ready to put him in the driver's seat. But if you look at the guys he beat, to win those titles, if we're being honest, the big names were well-faded, not very active, well past their best years. They were guys that had moved up from like light heavyweight, much smaller guys, right? When Mike Tyson got in there against elite heavyweights from the 90s era, Lennox Lewis, Evander Holyfield, he didn't look like the same guy. So um, perhaps some of that is because of the way he was developed or not developed, depending on who you talk to. Right. So I think with Anderson, they're going to take their time. 
Also, to the last calls, to last caller's point, what if Jared Anderson steps up too fast and you, you put him in there against Joe Joyce and he gets bludgeoned? Look at what happened to Daniel Dubois. I'm just saying, everyone right now is shutting down Daniel Dubois' throat. I'm not comparing Dubois to Anderson. I'm just using this as an example. Dubois went from the next big thing to the next big bust overnight. That could happen to Anderson because if Anderson were to lose, American fight fans are so unforgiving about that, especially new age fight fans like born after the year 2000. <clears throat> they, they're so unforgiving of a loss. It's crazy, especially if it's a knockout loss. Papa Chubby with the super chat. Thank you so much, Chad. He said, Burgos was a great match, but clearly Keyshawn Davis is the real deal. Will he be a prospect by his 10th or 12th fight? Is he on par with Pitbull or JoJo? Hmm. You know, honestly, for my money, he probably beats those guys. Um, maybe not just yet because of their – Pitbull, maybe. JoJo, I don't think so, uh, be, just because of his level of experience. But, yeah, I'm with you, dude. Um, by this time next year, Keyshawn Davis is going to be a contender. By his 12th uh, fight, he's going to be a contender. And I'll say this about top rank. With these new young prospects, these Olympic guys they just signed, they're not going to do 20, 30 development fights. They're going to do about 15 or so and get them into contention. They, they understand the new boxing landscape and with the way the titles work. These guys will have titles well before their 20th pro fight. Mark my word on that. All right, let's go to Nacho. See what he's got to say. Nacho, what's up, brother? Uh, nothing much, Mike. Just listening to uh, this last caller. Um, <clears throat> I just wanted to point out, none of us fans are legitimately clamoring to see Demetrius Andre fight Canelo. I just wanted yeah. to put that out there. Yeah. Like That's not something we're clamoring to see. So we can, you know, leave that alone and uh, let Andre figure out what he's going to do next. Um, fighting uh, DeMar Nicholson next. Um <laughs> With the fights this weekend, um, I agree with you, Mike. A lot of people are killing Teo for the performance. And to a certain extent, <clears throat> he deserves uh, a majority of the blame. He puts it on himself, I honestly right? think that, yeah, I honestly think that um, the biggest issue with him is that he needs a guy in there that he will genuinely listen to, that will legitimately teach him, um, you know, certain fundamentals that I don't think his father has ever taught him because the three biggest takeaways I had from the fight the other night against Martin um, were he didn't use his jab consistently at all to set up his uh, other shots. Um, he threw the straight right way too much because that was really the only effective shot he was landing for the most part. And then also if you're in there with a guy who's like Martin, who's a, a slippery mover, who basically wants to stick and move, you should be able to know how to cut the ring off and force him to have to fight. And the fact that Teofimo Lopez does not know how to do that is an indictment on him and his father for not actually learning how to do that as he was being developed. And moving forward, guys are going to basically use that game plan against him. They're going to stick and move, and they're not going to um, give him the ability to engage uh, directly in front of him. So unless they hire another trainer who can come in and fix that and, and actually have him work on it and develop that skill, he's going to be in trouble, Mike. And 
you were talking about um, Josh Taylor and uh, Regis uh, wouldn't mop the flow with him. I'm not so sure, Mike. What I saw was not good, and I think I think those two guys legitimately could put a whooping on him. If not, they could just outright stop him. From what I saw um, the the uh, other night, I, I'm just that kid is in trouble, and he's got a lot to work on. But unfortunately, like you said, Mike, that toxic uh, that toxic family of his and that. Uh, toxic relationship of his are just killing the kid. And until he figures out a way to get um, r- rid of all that, that negative toxic energy, he's not going to get any better, but I, I hope he does. Um, with uh, Jared Anderson, Mike, I mean, I said the other day, if he beat Jerry Forrest and he beat him convincingly, I wouldn't mind seeing him take on another guy who was in that realm. Now, you're saying Joe Joyce is definitely a step too far, which I think I would agree as well. But I think a guy like maybe Gerald Washington yeah. or maybe a Carlos Takam yes. or maybe even a guy like – I mean, we brought him up the other day. What about Dillian White, Mike? Do you think he's ready for that level of heavyweight? I would pump the brakes on that, dude, because Dillian – what if Dillian White just lands a haymaker left hook? The guy can punch. One more fight. Give me Gerald Washington. Give me Carlos Tuckum. Give me one of those guys. Um, I like mm-hmm. Washington because of his height and his size. Get him in there against a guy that height, that size, uh, with some experience. Um, and let's see what he does against him. I want to see that first. But, yeah, he's he's close. He's close, dude. Yeah. Okay. And then with uh, Keyshawn, I, like, I agree with you, Mike. I think probably in – his 12th or 13th fight, he's probably going to be fighting for a bell because that kid is way too advanced. I mean, yeah. he's fighting a guy who's a former world champion in his seventh pro fight. Yeah. There's not too many dudes doing that nowadays. I love it. So I think he's going to de- definitely be on the fast track to get a bell soon um, for sure. Um, and then with uh, Crawford and Avenician, Mike, that was a beautiful uh, performance by uh, Crawford. The way he set up um, uh let him think that he was engaging him in a in a toe-to-toe dogfight, but in reality, he was just slowly breaking him down round by round, hitting him with those body shots, hitting him with those uppercuts, hitting him with, you know, um, the, the straight lefts. And, and Avenician was game. He's never been a guy who's going to back down from a fight. Yep. He was game, but you could see the difference in talent between both guys. And at the very end, when um, Avenician just got hit with that um, uppercut and then the right hook he never saw coming, and he got laid out, oh, man, that was just classic, classic Crawford right there, just seeing him take out a guy that most people didn't expect him to see. Um, I mean, if the Spence fight is not happening, Mike, then what's next at this point? Like, is he legitimately going to have to move up? Yeah. I think they're both moving up by the end of next year. I think both Spence and Crawford are moving up to uh, 154 by the end of the year because they both have mandatories that they don't want to fight. Do you think either one of them wants to fight Virgil Ortiz or Jerron Ennis? I don't. Actually, well, no, Ortiz is going to fight. Yeah. So Spence has two mandatories he's going to have. And I don't think he wants to fight either of them. So um, Crawford, I guess, could hang out a little while longer. But Spence definitely going to be at 54, man. 
yeah, I kind of figured with him for sure, he'll definitely be gone to 54 soon as well. Um, and then just with uh, uh, Venado, I'm glad Venado won, Mike, but good God, Warrington is such a dirty fighter. <laughs> yeah. And it's unbelievable how they let him get away with everything they do in the UK. Mm. I mean, it's just unbelievable. But credit to Venado, he went out there, he put it on uh, on Warrington, and he, and he went on the road and he took the guy's belt in his hometown. Mm. Although that um, Howard Foster card, I mean, come on. You literally have to bend over backwards to give Warrington six rounds. Yeah. The fact that he had that home cooking from a British judge, that's just terrible. That's a terrible look. But I'm glad that Venado won the fight and he's got the belt. And hopefully he'll be back out there uh, soon to defend it. And hopefully he's not waiting six months or nine months to get a title defense. Hopefully they keep him active, even though he has the, the title belt, um, you know, for sure. And then um, with the card this weekend, Mike, <clears throat> I honestly, I'm going to go, I think, kind of against the grain because I think there are certain people that are kind of going with uh, Michelle Rivera. After seeing him his last few fights, Mike, I'm just not convinced he's an elite-level guy at 35. I think he's a decent fighter, <clears throat> but I haven't seen anything that makes me think he's an elite-level lightweight. And I kind of feel like Frank Martin is an elite level lightweight. And I think Frank Martin is going to go in there. And I think he's going to prove that he is the better fighter of the two and the better prospect of the two. <clears throat> so I'm picking Frank Martin to win that fight, Mike, probably by late stoppage, like KO, like 10 or 11. Nice. So, okay. That's, all right, Mike. Um, I don't know. You're not going to do a show next week, right? No, I'm, I'm going to do a show next Monday, and that will be the last show of the year. And then I'm going to try to do a show this Friday, too. Uh, ah, okay. All right, cool. Well, then I'll uh, talk to you soon, then. All right, thanks a lot, Nacho. All right, man. Yeah. Right, ciao. Sam A with the Super Chat says, Problem with Tio is he's been dropped three times in his last two fights. That is true. Guy can be dropped. And let's be real about this. To your point, Sam. He was dropped by a lightweight, and he was dropped twice by a light-punching 140. Uh, those hooks that put him down, if Regis Progray lands those hooks, oh, that's going to be tough for Tio. That's going to be real tough. Uh, I agree with Nacho, by the way. I, again, I don't, I don't know if I mentioned it, but I, I'm pulling, I, I think Frank Martin's going to win that fight. Probably go decision, though. If he could get the stoppage, that's really impressive. All right, guys, we're going to take one more call, and then that's it. We're going to take one more call from Thad here. And they're going to call it. All right. Dad, what's up, brother? How you doing? Hey, Mike, thanks for getting me in. Hopefully I'll make it as impactful as I can. Um, first of all, Stephen, Stephen Espinosa, his alt account. So he's been, I guess he's the, been talking trash about you having your family uh, matters on online then, right? He's the one that complains. Are you talking about like family stuff? Um, I don't want to say too much publicly. I just, um, somebody gave me some. <laughs> I'm just busting your balls. I'm just, I'm just trying to make it go. Okay. okay. I'm, well, like, cause no, seriously, base. somebody did reach out to me. <laughs> There's one particular account that really goes hard at me. And, um, uh, somebody who works in yeah. the digital space <laughs> did a little investigating and said, you know what? Um, I think I know whose account this really is. And here's why I say that. And, um, yeah, anyway, uh, maybe I'll talk about that in the future when I write my book. 
Oh, you have to. <laughs> I was laughing my ass off when I heard that he has an alt account. I mean, yeah. that is classic. Because that guy, well, a lot of the people at that platform do. Like, I mean, just multiple. Yeah. One of their little stat boys comes after me all the time on one of his. He has multiple. Anyway. 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 They sorry. got nothing better to do. Yeah. So, so Mike, let me answer. Let me answer the question that was asked about. Well, why is um you know style like um Anderson being rushed or why does he have to be rushed? Mike Tyson, why was he rushed? That, the Tyson example is simple. Number one, custom model devised a young man's style with the peekaboo. Okay, that was a style that only a young man could pull off at heavyweight. When you saw what Tracy Patterson did, or um, not Tracy Patterson, the um, Floyd Patterson. Oh, yeah, Floyd he became Patterson. the youngest heavyweight champion. Yeah, it's a style thing. It's a high energy, high impact style. An old man can't pull it off. So Tyson, that was a window between like age 18 and, and 22 or 23 to do that. And then after that, they declined. Also, Tyson was a risk. You know, he was, uh, you know, he had, they knew he was, he was a imploding time bomb. So it all, it all kind of factored in there. That's why they, you know, Tyson had to be moved quickly. Uh, in the case of Anderson, nice offensive fighter, a lot of, a lot of offensive skills. He has a, he has a small, he's a small man in a big man's body. And I think you do have to rush him. I, I don't think that style is going to last very long at heavyweight. It's not going to mature like a Lennox Lewis or a Vlad Klitschko or a Vitaly Klitschko where you could fight well into your 30s. You're, you're, like those guys basically primed at 34, 35 years old. Yeah. So that won't happen with Anderson, in my opinion. Okay. So I, I think – If you guys are you're making me come around on this, maybe maybe they should just throw Anderson in there. Why, why the hell not? Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, because you don't know what's going to happen. A lot. Look at, look at Spence just got into another accident. You you can't just sit on you know and wait. You know you have to make things happen when you know you you got somebody that's a hot commodity. And I think you don't throw him in with with like a Dylan White. Definitely not with a Joe Joyce. You're going to ruin the poor guy. Yeah. No, you want to step him up slow. You want to go Mike Hunter. You want to get a smaller heavyweight with some skills. That works. And then you go from there. Yeah. And then you could then maybe you could look at Big Bang Zhang who's going to be 40 years old and then, and then work your way into the top 10 and then make your moves. But uh, he's not going to have a long shelf life when, when you got the likes of uh, Jalilov taken over after this, uh, after Yusik retires and Fury retires, that's Jalilov's division. That's the guy. You're not going to beat him. He looks like uh, a-, a six, seven Southpaw. Yeah. He's a monster. He's basically, he's a morph between Vladimir Klitschko and Vitaly Klitschko. I, he doesn't have the power of Vlad, but he has like that fluidity of Vlad. And he has that physical imposing like strength of Vitaly and, and together that's a monster. So we'll see though. I mean, again, we have to see if he could, uh, you know, take a bomb that I've seen it happen in the amateurs. I, I just think that guy's not going to be unbeatable. He'll carry on a legacy, you know, but, uh, but that's why you have to move Anderson. Now you have to, you know, make moves and you have to get him in line to maybe get a title and keep them away from Jalilov. So that's, that's my two cents on that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very unhappy to hear that. Now, this is a rarity. I love when guys make the best fights fighting the best. But boy, Stanionis got some, he got sold a bag of goods. This guy fought, Bataev won, did whatever he had to do to fulfill that obligation to become the mandatory at WBA. And he's getting screwed, screwed big time. Okay. He's a three to one underdog against Ortiz. Okay. And you're setting your man up to fail, gaining nothing really, except for, uh, you know, accolades 
beating another prospect, a top-level prospect, I should say, in Ortiz. It makes no sense because, like you said, the winner of Crawford and Spence are going to vacate and they're going to move to 54. They're not going to fight Ortiz, Danionis, Ennis. They're not going to fight these young cats, okay? So it behooves you to make this fight now. And PBC, for all the protection they give their fighters, and you know who their fighters are that they protect. For them to throw Stanionis to the wolves like that, it just goes to show what they're all about. And any Eastern European fighter that has the stupidity to sign with PBC, this is exactly what they're going to do to you, okay? They're going to set you up to fail. They have you on the back burner, okay? It's an agenda over at PBC. So, yeah, Stanionis, Balls of Steel, Ortiz, same thing. They're probably, you know, the winner of that fight is probably going to have the best resume, you know, at, at welterweight, to be quite honest. Because they, they're going to beat, whoever wins that fight is probably going to, that's, that's the biggest level fighter in their prime that anyone has beat at welterweight. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but when you look at it, Sean Porter, he lost a lot of fights. I mean, and that's the best guy on both resumes with, uh, Crawford and Spence. So right now I would say Stanionis, Ortiz, or even Ennis probably have about a 50 shot to beat any one of those guys. Yeah. And it's pretty interesting to see Ennis fighting an absolute no hope or jobber. while Ortiz and Stanionis are, are squaring up to fight each other. I mean, I mean, how can you the IBF. avoid top comp? The, uh, sorry okay. to cut you off, but the IBF, that situation is, um, you know, usually they follow their rules and they're pretty reliable, but, um, yeah, he's fighting, uh, I think, and this is ranked three and he's fighting the number four guy who he's just going to obliterate. And I think their number one or two might be Ortiz and he's going the WBA route would have been great to just get a match between Ennis and Ortiz, but that's not what a particular Absolutely. promotion wanted. And, um, no way. So, you know, money exchanged hands and favors were done and yeah. that's how it works in boxing. You know, it, it's just the way it works. Um, so welterweight's going to continue yeah, to be in this muddled mess um, after that Spence Crawford fight. Cause honestly, Thad, it's by the time, sorry, just, I just had to mention by the time Spence and Crawford fight, the new school will be there. And we're going to know it's, it's Ennis yeah. and probably Ortiz. But I think Stanionis is, you know, a top five guy. But the new school's there. Those are the guys we're going to want to see them fight, and they're not. They're going to move up and wait and not fight them. So right. how relevant's the fight even going to be, to be honest? Exactly. It's it's just a, it's just a bad management situation. Stanionis has been just sold a bag of goods. A poor guy from Lithuania doesn't have good people around him, obviously. Um, it's, it's just, you know, he's a great fighter, but he's not. He's not big enough to beat Ortiz. Ortiz is a, is a, he's a super welterweight. Sanionis is a natural welterweight. And, and Ennis, he's like a middleweight. Yeah, he is. That's why I would rather see those two guys fight. Even, you know, in a non-title you know title fight or whatever, at 154 even have him fight. But it's, it's bad management. It's just, he's getting absolutely shit on. It's, it's, it's just unbelievable how certain fighters are just, you know, not treated the same way in America. And they, they come here and they, they pick these management groups. They should go strictly with Eddie Hearn, Matchroom, 
and or top rank and, and don't even look PBC's way. I mean, that is just how he got, you know, muddled up with PBC is beyond me. But but it's it's a it's a cursed suicide move. He ends up losing that fight. Now he's on the outside looking in when all those titles splinter. You're gonna have Ennis get the IBF, you're gonna have Ortiz with, with the WBA or WBO or maybe both. And then the WBC will go will go to um PDC's next fighter in line, whoever they, you know, have uh geared up. So he's gonna be on the outside looking in. He'll never get a title uh-huh. shot unless he's mandatory. I'll say this. He's getting 1.7 million. And for where he's from, that's a significant payday. And PBC will likely put him in there, maybe, in, in a title opportunity against a guy they're trying to build up again. So he'll get a couple paydays. Um, but I'm with you. I mean, he he kind of got screwed in this whole, whole deal. At least he's getting paid. At least he's getting paid. Yeah. Yeah, he's getting paid. and But, but he'll get one-third of that $1.7 million. It's taxes and you have your fees and you have promotions you get if you're a fighter you get about one third of that money in cash okay this isn't mayweather where he's like i got 50 million and he shows the check you know that's staged okay so money yeah you're getting money but you know there are rules you know when you are a law-abiding taxpayer okay (laughs) most of that money goes to the government and if you're from another country you get whacked again Okay, on the taxes, depending on where in which state that yeah. fight is taking place. Like if it's gonna be in New York City, you're gonna get whacked about twenty five percent. Okay, in state taxes. But if it's in Vegas, you won't. But again, that that's down the line. But uh, you know, people who talk finance, it, it, Mike, let me just say this. It's it's pretty amazing how, you know, online I'll see some people make comments about net worth and you know, Crawford got ten million and he's worth more than Spence. And it's amazing how the guys that pretty much dropped out of high school and or, you know, fucked around in high school and didn't go to college. Now, all of a sudden, you see these guys with their calculator pulling out, acting like they're Charles fucking Schwab. It's absolutely amazing how people online, you know, can be, can be, you know, fucks all their life. And then all of a sudden they pretend they're, they're, they're now they're an accountant whiz. And, and they're talking in terms of financials they never even paid attention to. So it, it's just, you know, yeah, everyone, it's, it's pretty amazing what you see online. And that's why I like your show because yeah, you're not like, you know, the PhD guy. Okay. And if there is something, you know, or a topic that is, is a little higher, higher level, you're going to have an expert come on and, and, you know, and talk about it and, or take their opinion. You're not going to pretend you know, you're some professor from Harvard, okay? And and that's that's a dead-on giveaway what a fraud a lot of people are online in all these shows that you see. It's, yeah, it's but I mean, one a, lot big, of, um, a lot of these guys don't even use their own name. They don't use their own uh, picture in their, their profile photo, like on their social media accounts. I put my real name and my real image out there. That's why I keep it real. And you're right. If I don't know if something, I'll, I'll learn about it or I'll bring somebody on who right. does. Um, you know. yeah. and, I'm, and I'm talking more about guys with these platforms, like online, like that are, you know, that have channels. They're, they're the ones that are yeah. putting it out there like they're experts and, and, and look at them. They're like, you know, the guy that was rolling dice in the back room when, you know, they're, you know, they're doing calculus or whatever in high school, like these guys, they have no credibility whatsoever, but they act like, yeah, well, I know the financials on this and you have to listen to me. 
it's amazing. You'll see that. I just glance over it, but I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And then you see how many followers and likes they have. It's like, well, how many stupid people in America are there? People love that like shit. Like, how Dad. many gullible sons of bitches are Pe- out there? People I mean, love that shit. They love it. Look, unbelievable. The, the, the Glovegate guys made some of these guys got some of them made tens of thousands of dollars off those videos. The Glovegate thing. Yes, they, they, they did. They're getting sponsorships off that. I mean, people love that shit. It just it is what it is. But man, I'm gonna I'm gonna get wrapping yeah. up, brother. I'm I'm exhausted. Sure thing, Mike. Yeah, and yeah, and the uh, Stefan Espinosa. Yeah, you can if you're listening and have to get <laughs> oh, a new God. handle. I'm gonna get found it out, that. man. They're gonna come after me for that. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> Yeah. Thanks a lot, man. <laughs> All right, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Bye. All right. Let me state for for the record here, because a couple of these guys they they hate me, but they watch my show every week and they take little video uh, clips and, and they imagine the lives these people live. They can't stand me, but they watch a two hour long show. They rifle, th- you know, comb through it, I should say, and look for little clips they can download. And they post it on their social media and someone's going to post that and they're going to tag Steven. Listen, let me put this on record. I have zero proof that anybody has an alt account. I've just been told things by people. Okay. There are people out there that think Sasquatch is real and that the earth is flat. All right. So take it all. It's tongue in cheek. We're talking a little trash, having a little fun. Okay. Not to be taken seriously. So some of you could just unclench the asshole a little bit. All right, real quick. Super chat from BKRon93. Thank you so much. He says, Mike, always great stuff. Everyone spread the word. Let the world know about MOB. That's right, baby. That's right. And Papa Chubby with another super chat. I appreciate it, my man. He says, pump the brakes. My life is a Twitter target by Michael Montero. Book in stores now. I, I may or may not be collecting screenshots. I may or may not have uh, enlisted the help of some legal uh, people in the legal profession to do some digital scrubbing of social media accounts of people in the American boxing community. May or not be collecting screenshots to put together a coffee table book one day and showing uh, just the level of hypocrite some of these people are. I may or may not be doing that. I'm just going to leave it there. Super chat from Sam. Once again, Sam, thank you so much. He says, Stanionis maybe can take Virgil Ortiz in the deep waters. Yeah, that's going to be a competitive fight. But I agree with that. Virgil Ortiz is too big, too strong, too explosive. Also hits harder than Stanionis. Uh, at least Stanionis gets paid here. But if he fights Virgil well, fares well in that fight, I do think he'll be back in the title mix at some point. I do think so. All right, guys. That's it, man. I can't wait to see the Twitter reaction. <laughs> we talked for an hour and 40 minutes. They're going to take 20 seconds. I'm telling you, that's how these guys are. And they're going to make videos and tweets. And, uh... Anyway, guys, have a wonderful, wonderful week. I will try to do a show Friday. And uh, we'll definitely do a show Monday. It'll be the last TNC of the year. I appreciate you guys. See you at the fights. Peace.